Travis Feldnauser, as uh, Pat just said, I'm an international fellow at the International Council of U.S. Arab Relations and also a columnist at the leading Saudi Daily Arab News, and I'm also a political consultant to the Embassy of Saudi Arabia. Uh, having said that, everything I say today, all the views I express are strictly my own. Uh, it is my distinct honor to chair this panel this afternoon. The panel is titled, How Best to Understand Saudi Arabia's Vision 2030 Plan. We have a truly distinguished panel of experts who will cover the vision from many angles and uh, will provide various uh, perspectives. Each speaker will have roughly five to seven minutes to uh, deliver opening remarks. Um, I will ask a few questions to get the conversation started, and then there will be an opportunity for audience members to also submit their uh, questions in writing. So we will uh, start first. The first speaker will be Ms. Fatma Bashan. She is the uh, spokesperson uh, for the Saudi Embassy here in Washington, D.C. Uh, prior to that, she was the director of the Arabia Foundation, which is, I think, also here in Washington, D.C. Uh, Ms. Bashan has a, a, a long and uh, distinguished career having held positions at, uh, at the World Bank as well as the Saudi Ministry of Economy and Planning. She is intimately familiar with the region and she will speak to us about its uh, origins, its objectives, and where it stands today. She will give us a pretty good overview to get that discussion started. Um, next will be Dr. Turkey Rashid, who is the founder and CEO of Golden West um, Think, an agriculture and contracting company based in Saudi Arabia. He is also an adjunct professor at the College of Agriculture and Life Sciences at the University of Arizona. And Dr. Rashid will delve a little deeper into the vision, and uh, it's my understanding that he will look at it from the perspective of uh, sustainable development. Um, following him will be Mr. Mike Ryan, who is a strategic markets advisor to the uh, U.S. Saudi Arabian Business Council. Uh, Mike's remarks will focus on Saudi um, U.S. economic relations, ties, and investment opportunities with a particular focus on the uh, Saudi Public Investment Fund. Uh, after him will be Ms. Manal Bota. She is an education specialist at the World Bank. At the World Bank's education global practice, where she focuses on a range of analytical and lending operations in the media region. Um, she will focus on the vision's plans and programs for, for the education sector in Saudi Arabia, more specifically, and um, that happens to be uh, a subject that I personally hold. Uh, near and dear to my heart. And uh, last but not least will be Hany Okeli, who is the Managing Director at the Washington, D.C.-based FDI Consulting, where he is part of the segments um, Energy and Natural Resources Communications Practice. Uh, Mr. Okeli will speak about the public perceptions of the Vision 2030, both inside the kingdom as well as abroad. So uh, without further ado, I yield the floor to Ms. Lovman Uh, first and foremost, uh, I'd like to thank Fahad and the National Council uh, for this opportunity, but also for providing this contextualization platform. I think oftentimes, particularly here in D.C., we're running around and we're kind of <coughs> uh, conveying or digesting kind of truncated information. And I think it's platforms like this that afford and allow context um, that, that's very important because context is key for understanding 
Let's just keep going and fix what we got to fix as we go along. So that's, that's one. 
beard, or another Saudi who might be wearing a top, or another Saudi who has on a hat or has on her shoulders. And so, what I've really appreciated is that the leadership says, you know what? <clears throat> we have a, a very vibrant society that is filled with uh, very, a purview of various uh, opinions, and the spectrum of opinions is wide. Um, and so, if you want to drive, you can drive. You don't have to drive. If you want to go to a concert, you can go to a concert, but you don't have to go to a concert. Um, and we're evolving, and I've heard it as well as, and that's what we've had not say this, is that, you know, we're not Easternizing, we're not Westernizing, we're just modernizing, and we're doing it in a way that is still intrinsically true to our values and our traditions. And that that's what's sustainable about any kind of change. Change is never easy, it's never seamless, it's never perfect, but what makes it sustainable, in my personal view, is that you do it in a way that's true to yourself, and if anyone's going to talk about Vision 23, you've heard me say that, I'm sure, before. Um, and then just the final point I wanted to make is that it's been so inspiring to witness um, its implementation on a daily basis every day, so much so that it's attracted a lot of Saudis to to come back and work for the government. Um, and, it, you know, in a, in a country where previously, and forgive me for being so colloquial and kind of <clears throat> off the cuff, where, you know, previously we're like, hey, where's my health care? Hey, where's my money for college? Hey, where's my... It's actually now the opposite. It's more, hey, how can I help? Because we also have a stake in this. And that has been the most inspiring thing for me as a family to witness about Mission 2030. And with that, I got it. 
statement, but it really has to affect the people and it has to improve their life. I have got my presentation and uh, you will see online there is more data on this videos. Uh, the solution, I honestly believe, that is the role of agriculture to enhance security, alleviate poverty, rather than we give just so very big $100 million to Syria a few weeks ago, or what it takes $200 per Syrian family to produce one tons of wheat, one tons of wheat that's enough for a Syrian family to feed them for one year. So $200 million, we could feed $6 million uh, Syria. My devoted of my life, what I want to devote the rest of my life to, is to take some small percentage of that money and give it to donations that is as a program to alleviate poverty, promote economic growth. Thank you very much for your listening. And uh, next is uh, Mike Ryan. You sure want me to be next? Uh, you're on the schedule. And uh, good afternoon. My name is Mike Ryan, and I'm with the U.S. Saudi Arabia Business Council. I'm speaking about the Vision 2030 and how it relates to the U.S. Saudi relationship. Um, in my opinion, and what we've seen is that Vision 2030. For Saudi Arabia, it isn't just an economic transformation. What it is doing is creating jobs, it's localization, it's developing stronger partnerships between American businesses, Saudi businesses, as well as the United States and Saudi Arabia itself. And in one instance, I'll be focusing on is the EIF, the Public Investment Fund. The Public Investment Fund is the sovereign wealth fund for Saudi Arabia. And right now, they're at 600 billion Saudi Riyals, and their goal is to get seven, excuse me, Seven trillion Saudi reals. And one area of focus that I'm working on is with the Saudi Arabian military industry, so otherwise known as SAMI. And when, what they're doing is, is that they're working on, which is developing these partnerships between U.S. companies, U.S. defense companies, the OEMs, the Boeings, the Lockheeds, Northrop's, as well as their subcontractors, so that way they can manufacture uh, parts and in Saudi Arabia, so any of these MRO contracts that go out for the F-15s and everything like that, they are done in Saudi Arabia. And the goal of SAMI is to create about 40,000 jobs by 2030. And these are Saudi jobs for Saudi citizens. And this is a huge undertaking that hasn't been done for quite some time right now. And another area that the PIF is looking at is tourism and entertainment. And this what my Counterpart, uh, Falcon said, is what His Royal Highness Khalid bin Salman mentioned is they're, they're modernizing, and this is where Padaya comes in with this Western entertainment. And Six Flags is a huge anchor for this, where they're going to build an amusement park on what I believe is 334 square kilometers. This is bigger than Disney World. And, and I mean, jobs that will be created with. Today is 57,000 jobs, and there's so much investment coming in, and there's also outward investment. But as much as 
stuff, so I'd like to focus on the deals that the PIF has done with Lucid as well and magically the startup over there. The money that's coming into Saudi Arabia to help the economy and further bolster the economy, excuse me, with all these partnerships is critical because there's different areas, but it's, I mean, going back to what I said, transparency and inspiration, you just can't can't beat what Saudi Arabia is doing right now with Vision 2030. For example, the PIF is a significant driving force behind Vision 2030. They're focusing on technology companies, uh, augmented reality, where, from what I read the other day, it said the goal of PIF and Vision 2030 is to change the the economy, not from a petrochemicals economy, but to a technology economy. And this is where AR companies, the Magic Leaps, and the bigger projects like Dia, Neon, come in. And Neon, which I haven't mentioned, is a $500 billion investment that is spanning most of the northwest of Saudi Arabia. It's going into parts of Jordan and parts of Egypt, and it's going to be tourism. It's going to be pharmaceutical, biotech, healthcare. The Saudi Arabia is demonstrating to the United States and the rest of the world that it is that they are the premier country in the region, in the Middle East, to focus on investment, to focus on partnerships, to focus on labor and everything like that. And it's incredible. And one area that I would like to, another area that is interesting is the company owned by General Motors called Cruise, which is a that's similar to self-driving automobiles and Tesla and everything like that, where they this is an opportunity for GM to expand to expand its already strong standpoint into, into the kingdom with I mean Algerian Motors is already a well known company over there and it's very popular with GM and Chevy so I mean they don't need any mention but Going back to what I was saying, Vision 2030 is where, I mean, hold on a second. Sorry, I'm disorganized. <laughs> Can't have myself. It really is. <laughs> sorry about that. But in the, there's various joint ventures going on. Like, I'm sorry. Uh, you have Boeing, and they partnered with us on their space to help with their rotorcraft there. And then Lagos is also all in on 2030. We're seeing a lot of American businesses now entering Saudi or expanding their operations in Saudi Arabia, setting up manufacturing facilities, setting up areas of investment so that way Saudis can have a job there. That way they have a useful, uh, not useful as a but a stronger labor force. Um, and that's, that's really all right. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Thank you, Fahad, and thank you um, to all the participants for your patience and for giving us your attention. Um, so, on Vision 2030, I will be speaking about this from the perspective of my background and my knowledge, which is the education sector. Um, I think we've heard enough about how we've heard plenty from our other panelists 
about how division has transformed the role of women and for the youth, and I think we'll hear more of that from our next panelist. But at the heart of it, I see Vision 2030 as an ambitious national development, development plan that is looking to diversify away from oil and gas dependence. And at the heart of this vision is building a future human capital. And by default, when we're talking about human capital, we have to hone in on the education sector. Now, the vision rightly so recognizes and sets forth a set of indicators and a path for how education in Saudi Arabia can be reformed. Don't get me wrong, the country has made, has made great strides in developing education. Let's take a think back. In the 1960s, almost 95% of the population was illiterate. By the 1990s, the country had already achieved full enrollment. It's a huge achievement. The country established sound infrastructure and systems to develop and to establish a modern education system. Now, is that enough? Where are our student learning outcomes in Saudi Arabia today? I won't go into the numbers to get too much detail, but let's all agree that it's not where it needs to be, considering the great wealth that we have in our country. So for my speech today, my speech today, I just want to focus on five points. Five points that I hope you can take away with your contacts and your communications and be a champion for education and for education progress. And the vision as a document and also as a champion for enhancing education reform in the sector. So the vision sets forth that they want to reform and extend early childhood education, enhance teacher professional development in terms of longer hours of training, um, expanding access to students with disabilities, a number of things. But I encourage our leadership our managements, our ministries, our youth to think and to advocate for a holistic and systemic reform towards education development. Because without this approach, we're not going to be able to implement Vision 2030 or NTP um, 2020. We're going to keep going back in a cycle of thinking, okay, well, we're going to treat this side, but we'll let this side. So we need to get a full holistic picture. So step one, our first potential recommendation I would have or how I see Vision 2030 for the future is let's focus on student readiness. The vision rightly so says, okay, we need to expand access to early childhood education, which in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia is only at 16% compared to the world average of 54%. We're making our way there, but it's not just about early childhood education, it's about ensuring numeracy and literacy skills. Our students are graduating and entering fourth grade and being tested, and they don't have basic numeracy and literacy skills. So therefore, how can we talk about skills and training and fulfilling those roles and those opportunities, future business opportunities, if we don't have a skilled workforce? So let's focus on basic numeracy and literacy skills. Let's expand and enhance the first three years and foundation for future skills and competencies. Point one. Point two. Let's focus on teacher management. The education sector shouldn't be a placeholder for everybody who's looking for a job. We should be selecting and recruiting the best teachers with the best capabilities and managing them in an appropriate and 
efforts to make sure that there is a pathway towards that so that we can realize and achieve Vision 2030. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for that. So, before we go to our last speaker, Honey, um, I would like to just make a couple of brief comments.
when it first came out, it was very hard to find a corner to hide in if you're a Saudi and not hear the words, this is 2030, and what are you guys doing? It took a lot of time and effort to explain, not only to the international um, uh, audience, but also to the local audience, what Vision 2030 is. Uh, for the past several years, my job was to look at what drives investors to invest in Saudi Arabia, for example, what drives thinkers to think positively about Saudi Arabia, and how do you get public perception of Saudi Arabia to increase. To be very short and brief, I'll, I'll say it in two different ways. So international public perception about, let's say, the vision of Saudi Arabia in general. For the longest time, perception of Saudi Arabia is very normal. I mean, it's not good or bad. It's always kind of in the middle. Now, Vision 2030 comes out and you see a lot of rhetoric, a lot of talk, a lot of news coverage, a lot of this and that. And then people start paying attention to what this vision is. Now, you have the skeptics and you have the supporters. But the outcome was, from what we've seen in, in either research or just regular interactions, once the vision is actually explained properly, the buy-in is there. And I'll give you very simple examples of international investors. There's a, uh, a client of mine, a Fortune 50 U.S. company, who was really interested in Saudi Arabia. After reading his specific sectors, reforms, and what's, what the plan is. Now, I had several clients who we tried to encourage to come to Saudi who are interested in investment in Saudi Arabia, especially when the Vision 2030 came up. But there's skepticism about culture, about this. However, this individual who actually understood what Vision 2030 is, doubled down every time there was a hurdle that comes in the way. And I quote him saying, I'm invested in Saudi Arabia as long as it takes and as long as I have breath in my chest. It's not because the money is not. And I asked him why, and he said, simply because I understand the culture now and I understand what it takes. I go back to something Falkman said a couple of years ago at the Hudson Institute. He, he, he said, just like there's a middle America, there's a middle Saudi. You remember that? Well, based on all of my research on that. And it's true. If middle America and middle Saudi sit down together, it would be almost a mirror image if you strip down culture, you strip down religion, ideology, and stick to the values. So what does that mean? That means the vision is easily acceptable. If we look at it now from the perspective of the public, in the beginning, Saudi Arabia or the Saudis were very skeptical. I mean, come on, you're coming to a person who spent most of their lives getting things handed to them, and then they hear rumors of, oh, you're going to be taxed, oh, you're going to be this and that, and this. Everyone came up and went, no, we don't want, we don't want. However, when the results of the vision started showing, you started seeing public participation. A person like me, who is willing to drop everything here in D.C. and move to, the, to Saudi Arabia, as I say, to the desert, too. Not because, well, the money is good. Trust me, it's not that great. Not because, you know, it's easier life. No, it's because I have two daughters. Whether I like it or not, they're Saudi. Whether I like it or not, they're going to have to be part of that society. So it's my job as a father, forget about as a Saudi, forget about as my job as a father to make sure that the future of my daughters is safe. And for me to do that, I need to believe in the vision. But believing in the vision 
because the evidence is there. When the results started showing, you started seeing more public participation. So then if you explain what the results are going to be in a very transparent, convincing way, you'll get the public participation ahead of time. And that's about what I have to say. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Henry. So we have a number of questions from the audience, but I'll go ahead and uh, ask a couple of my own based on uh, some of the discussions or maybe some of the topics that didn't come up uh, during the remarks. Um, I believe it was last week, the second future investment initiative uh, was concluded in Riyadh. And uh, my question to um, anyone or everyone on the panel is, how was this year's conference uh, different than uh, than last year's? Was was there a particular sector of the side of the economy that was the focus of this year's conference as opposed to uh, last year's? Um, so just from interacting with the members of the business council that did attend, even though there wasn't a Jamie Diamond personality there, they're able, from what I've seen, that U.S. companies that were there were able to get better exposure and actually were able to close a few more deals than they were able to the first time around.
country. For example, in my work with the Ministry of Labor and the Ministry of Education and the, and the Kingdom, um, they are developing, for example, the Ministry of Education, a competency framework for what it means to have youth that embody 21st century skills. So they recognize that we want to have graduates who are going to graduate with the right skills and that they can enter the labor market. The um, peak, the Evaluation Commission in the kingdom that's also responsible for evaluating education is also on board and has done a huge undertaking where they've worked with universities, youth, experts, again, on this 21st century competency, competency framework and ensuring that teacher standards are aligned so that they can be instilling the right skills and values in their students. And on the labor side, the Ministry of Labor, for example, is taking an undertaking at a little work to really understand what are the needs in the labor market? What are the skill sets that our citizens have? And is there a mismatch? And trying to use analytical data to understand where do those mismatches exist? Where do we need to invest financially in making sure that the trainings and opportunities are available to ensure that there is an adequate supply of young Saudi citizens who can enter the labor market and so that they can bolster demand from the private sector as well. Because we know a lot of the Saudis tend to go to the public sector. So by upskilling our youth and really honing in on the knowledge and skills that they need, that is something that the country is really trying to work towards. And it is a long-term process. Great. Thank you, ma'am. I'm taking answer for this because I was part of it. If you remember, some of you might remember, in the 80s, the price of oil dropped from $30 to $7. And uh, at that time, we had about 800,000 foreigners in Saudi Arabia. Then what happened? Because of the lack of the capabilities and the credibilities of the public sector servant, they decided to don't depend on technology. And they have flooded the countries with very, very low labor uh, stuff. And then their measurement or strategy is one square meters per room. So within two years, we have jacked the number from 800,000 to nearly two and a half million. How can we go from here? Let's look at the real problem. I honestly think we should go with artificial intelligence, that is, with Saudis, could replace with artificial intelligence, we could replace 10 workers, an average salary of 2,000 dirhams for the workers. If we get a Saudi 10,000 dirhams, that's we have saved 50%. So with artificial intelligence, we could make, you don't have to understand, Saudi Arabia is a, is a chemical company. It's basically that's where we are. We make money out of oil. Oil requires only 3% of our labor force. So we need to get something in uh, to hire all these people, and 88% is in the service uh, sector. Can I jump in really quickly? Uh, I'm sorry. Um, the one thing I wanted to mention that I thought not to mention, and I think this is a very good opportunity for this uh, with all 
starts arguing with my father all the time. I think it's time to, I don't want to say step down, but I want to say give a little bit of space for the younger generation to come out, and I'll tell you why. If you look at, obviously, the numbers are there, the largest portion of the Saudi population is youth and all that kind of stuff, but let's look at actually who is making these investments, driving these thoughts. They're all young people who are speaking a language that, frankly, I do not understand. But when I picked up the dictionary and started understanding it, it makes sense. It doesn't make sense because it's the right thing. It makes sense because this is what works right now with the population that we have. So when a 19, 20-year-old young man or woman come up and say, this is a proper way to do it, I think we need to put some stock into what they're saying and actually look into it. And I think we need to get the knowledge from the older generation and really let loose the younger generation because they got some energy that is very, very phenomenal. I think the point that Heidi just raised, building off of what Dr. Turkey mentioned, Automation of artificial intelligence or using technology is amazing, but you have to do it in a way that doesn't increase unemployment. And so when you look at benchmarks around the world and areas where it's worked, where you're able to use artificial intelligence and technology in a way that actually augments the skill sets as opposed to replacing people, that's that's the critical balance. And then, um, and, and also something that Hani said and something that Manas said earlier, also, you know, a fascinating shift in Saudi society also has been with uh, Saudis taking vocational roles, and so this is something that's also very important to focus on and to kind of encourage, so that way you have Saudis across the, across the entire labor market, not just as in what was mentioned, you know, either the public sector or kind of top-tier private sector positions. So all of this has happened kind of real-time. I just wanted to mention that. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Mike, please go. Seems pretty fortuitous now that Hani and Fatima just mentioned what they did is that we're the business council, we're aware of the nonprofit, US nonprofit that's actually working with the Ministry of Education right now to develop the necessary skills with uh, the Saudi youth market and the labor market so that way any Saudi student that's in college right now, whether it's in the United States, Saudi, or wherever, that they get the necessary skills to elevate into the labor market, they're prepared and they're working with corporations in Saudi for internships and so forth so that they are well prepared and they can succeed moving forward in Saudi Arabia. Great, thank you. So uh, one of the questions from the audience is about the uh, mega projects, uh, the uh, mega cities, Neom specifically, but perhaps more generally, uh, what are some of the, uh, or what's the potential for these cities to transform Saudi Arabia as one, and two, what are the challenges uh, of that? And, uh, Anyone, obviously, can uh, jump in and take that question. Uh, I'll take that. Um, as a person who lived through the first mega projects, and now we're going into the second, I heard uh, uh, someone uh, explain or, or, or describe them as the giga projects now. In my opinion, they are social experiments, and I'll explain why. If we look at something like Al-Rula, Al-Rula, I was talking to the CEO of uh, the Royal Commission for Al-Rula, and he mentioned that this is not only a tourist attraction, we're not highlighting or concentrating on beautiful things, but it's about building the people. So he spent some time talking about the education programs for Al-Rula residents and the vocational programs for Al-Rula residents. Why am I saying this? Building a city is not just the 
cities that were built decades ago, but see the effect of these two cities, the effect they have on the rest of the population. Now, not necessarily from an educated, from a technology perspective or anything else, but it's a city that had a local population. That local population now has sets of skills that they got over the years because of that specific city. So something like Neil, when it becomes what it becomes, where it's a hub for technology, a hub for artificial intelligence, that is going to seep into the rest of the population. And in the case of Neil, it's not only going to be Saudi Arabia, it's going to be three other countries. So when that knowledge and that transfer knowledge seeps into the population, you're going to get a more mature, a more productive population that's going to take that model and implement it in all existing cities. Uh, great. Thank you, Hani. So uh, we are unfortunately running a long time, so um, I'm going to go to the fabric analyst and with this brief uh, closing remarks, uh, perhaps uh, starting with uh, me. Again, you probably want to start with me, but I don't really have much of a choice. <laughs> well, in closing remarks uh, regarding Vision 2030, I just see it as a, it's the potential is there for Sagrega to level the playing field regarding technology innovation, regarding manufacturing partnerships, public private partnerships, and so forth. And working with the Business Council, we see it day to day with our large American companies such as GE, Exxon, and Parsons, but also the small to medium enterprises, which are now entering the side market because it's they've, the Saudi Arabia's because of Vision 2030 has made it easier with Sagia issuing licenses and commercial licenses. So, I mean, moving forward, I think the sky's the limit for Vision 2030 in Saudi Arabia. Great, Dr. Jorski. Back again to Yosef. He's uh, he had two targets one which is 14 years, and one is one year, which is a growing season. Uh, governments have limited resources to achieve their. Strategies. We did have successful strategies when we achieved food security. Egypt have achieved their success on reducing their mortality rate. They were one of the highest in the world and they reduced it. And then we have Germany for the unification. That's a strategy of succeed. Now let's look at the other side of the coin because the failure is absolutely as a disastrous. When we get the Iran, uh, when the Shah of Iran, he had his strategies to uh, move Iran forward. He have lacked all the supports of the uh, stakeholders. And you know what's the result of Iran? The same with uh, Russia. They have taken the state of the art of, you know, peoples from Harvard and the World Bank, but they did not use the French army, sorry, the Russians, uh, stakeholders, and you know what's the result. So, my take is stakeholders' involvement to achieve the large Saudi strategies with a short-term goals and a long-term goals. We do need it. Great. Thank you, Dr. Jorge. just kind of loop back and just say that Vision 2030 is a long-term uh, strategic aim. Uh, every day we're witnessing its implementation. 